0: Well, good morning and thank you for joining us this morning as we worship together, as we've sung and celebrated what God is doing uh, through worship. Now we celebrate what God says to us through his word. We're in the fifth message in the Servant King series in the Gospel of Mark, and I hope that you've taken time uh, to go to the website and to download the notes that will help you uh, to Follow along with what we're doing. Some of the quotes that I'll read are in there. Some of the the fill-in-the-blanks are there. And uh, you can use that as a great resource and tool as you stay in touch with this message as we go through it. Now, the last message, we talked about the parable of the sower, the seed, and the soil. In this message, we're going to come to the end of Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. And we're going to talk about don't miss the point of your storm. All of us have storms. This whole world has been going through a storm with this pandemic. We, we have storms in our families, in our lives, in our health, in our, in our finances. All of us go through storms. There's no such vaccine as a storm-proof vaccine. The reason we carry car insurance and homeowner's insurance is because there's a possibility of accidents and problems. It's, it's preparation. The one thing we don't need to do is miss the point of the storms that we happen to be in. And so the setup for this particular story, this miracle in the life of Jesus and his disciples, is how you listen to the word. How you respond to the word determines how you respond in the storm. This is something Jesus says over and over Matthew chapter 4 and verse 9 he that has ears let him hear John 12:47 if any man hears my words Matthew 13:13 13, 13, hearing they hear not Romans chapter 17 uh, chapter 12 I think faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God Revelation chapter 2 and 3 to the churches The Spirit says, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. So the first thing that we want to see so we don't miss the point in the storm is that God reveals himself in the word. God has revealed himself in the word. You have in your lap or on your iPad or on your phone the scriptures, God's holy word. It's a lamp, it's a light, it's a path. It tells you who God is and and how he acts and what he wants of us, his people. So one of the things that we need to remember is we may do nothing about the word we hear, but the word does something to us. Whether we respond to it or not, it either softens our heart or it hardens our heart. Truth not acted on is very dangerous. Doctrine demands duty. Sermons should lead to service. Vance Havner said, There is enough of the word of God stored in the heads of Christians, if it were obeyed, to set America on fire and set off enough divine power to put atomic bombs to shame. Now, before we jump into this story of this storm and the disciples and Jesus, I want to back up for just a moment and give you three principles based on the earlier part of Mark chapter 4 that you need to take seriously because this impacts how we respond. How we hear determines how we act. So here's principle number one. God never leaves himself without a witness or man without a light. God never leaves himself without a witness or man without a light. That's Mark chapter 4, verse 21, when he talks about the lamp. Paul talks about this in Romans, that, that we are without excuse because God has revealed himself in creation. Man should search for God just in the revelation of God. In creation so God never leaves himself without a witness or man without a light he always has a witness second principle if we respond to the light we have we will receive more light in other words the key to growing is growing if you want to grow start growing that's Matthew uh, Mark chapter 4 and verse 24 if we respond to the light we have we get more light We build on what God has been teaching us and saying to us. And then the third one, this is the warning. If we fail to respond, God will take from us what we already have. That's verse 25. So all three of these principles are a setup for what we've talked about in the parables in Mark chapter 4 before there's this storm that's going to happen at the end of Mark 4. You see the condition for additional revelation is obedience to what you already know. Some people say, well, I'm not learning anything new. I don't know anything new. I wish God would show me something new. What are you doing with the last thing that he said to you? So whatever the last thing he said to you, he's waiting on you to act on that because he's not going to squander truth if we don't respond to it correctly. The misuse and neglect of spiritual truth will ultimately lead to spiritual atrophy. You don't use your mind, then it, it doesn't stay there. It doesn't work. It doesn't come back to mind. A.W. Tozer said, A doctrine has practical value only as far as it, as it is prominent in our thoughts and makes a difference in our living. You see, we are not judged so much by the light that we have, but but by the light that we refuse to respond to. So God reveals himself. Now, here we are. This is the context, how we hear the word. And once we've heard the word, then God puts it to the test to see if we've really heard it. So the second point is God reveals himself in the storms of life. I love this quote by George MacDonald, a preacher of another age, in whatever man does without God, he must fail miserably or succeed more miserably. Whatever we do without God, we'll fail miserably or we will succeed more miserably. So pick up with me now as we look at this storm where God is going to reveal himself in this storm to the disciples. Verse 35. On that day when evening came, he said to them, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took him along with him in the boat just as he was, and other boats were with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they became very much afraid and said to one another, Who then is this? They're asking about Jesus. Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now, just look up a few verses and let's go back to the parable of the sower, the seed, and the soil. And let's look at the things that pull the power of the word away from us. Look at what he says. The first seed, it's sown beside the road, and the devil snatches it away. So by that verse, you can write the word, the devil. Then it's in rocky places. You could write the word flesh by that. Then among the thorns, you can write the word world by thorns. So what did Jesus just do with this parable? He told us that the world, the flesh, and the devil will steal what God wants to do in our lives if we don't focus our attention on God, whether times are good or whether we're in the storm. They will fight for our attention, and they will divert us from the truth. It's all implied in the parable of the sower, the seed, and the soil. So we are in a battle for the renewal of our minds and for the commitment of our heart with the world, the flesh, and the devil. And it's dependent on the kind of soil that we had. We talked about that in the last message. Now, Jesus has been teaching in parables. This is a long and strenuous day. Jesus is... Exhausted. I I don't know how this person figured this out, but over a hundred years ago, uh, someone figured out that to preach, you expend physically, mentally, and emotionally about what would equal eight hours of physical labor. Jesus has been teaching all day, preaching all day. He's exhausted. Now, here's the point that I want you to see. The Word has been sown into the hearts of the disciples. Jesus has revealed the meaning of the parables. Now comes the pop test. He's sown the seed of the Word. He's taught the disciples. He's explained the parable. Now they show up in a boat, and he's about to test them if they've learned anything while he's been teaching in parables. So, you, again, you can never forget the context. Look at it. On that day, the same day that he was teaching, this was not like, oh, a month from now, I'm going to test these guys on what I said. It's at the end of the day, the same day, all these words are fresh in their mind, Jesus has been teaching, and now they get in a boat. When evening came, that's somewhere between sundown and... And dark. He said let us go over to the other side. That literally says let us go through. So there's a command and a promise. Jesus did not say to the disciples, hey guys, let's go out in the middle of the sea, get in a storm, let's let the boat go down and see who can swim. No. Jesus told them you're going to the other side. Now, they're going to hit a storm before they get there, but he said, we're going to the other side. Let us go over to the other side. They found themselves in a storm because they obeyed God. Now, can I, can I just tell you, your storm will either be because you obeyed God or because you disobeyed God. Storms are not random. It's not just circumstantial. Storms come because we obey God and God tests us to see if our obedience is real or on the surface or we disobey God and God is pruning us and he is refining us. He, he disciplines those that he loves. Now, in your notes, you see that storms have a purpose. The Bible often mentions how God works in a storm and in winds and in Albany, Georgia, we certainly have seen storms and winds. And I think we would all vote unanimously. We've seen all of them we ever want to see for the rest of our lives. Uh, I, I remember when my parents decided we were gonna stay home during Hurricane Camille and we stayed in Pascagoula and went to the church and sheltered in while the water came in trees and poles were going down everywhere, the worst hurricane to ever hit that area at that time in the history of hurricanes, and my parents decided to stay. And I was in the 10th grade, and I thought to myself, when I'm old enough, I am never staying through another hurricane again. I'm going as far away from this thing as I can. Storms have a purpose. God has a purpose in storms. 146 times. 146 times. Wind is used in the Word, and the majority of time, wind is speaking of an activity of God. God is moving, God is working. When you see the word wind, look and see what the activity of God is in that moment. Let me just give you some examples. Exodus 10, God used the wind to bring the locusts to Egypt. Side note, I wish God would use the wind to get the gnats out of Albany. Exodus 15, God used the wind to bring the waters of the Red Sea crashing in on the Egyptians. Numbers 11, a wind from the Lord brought the quail from the sea for his people to eat in the wilderness. 1 Kings 18, God used the wind to send rain and end a a three-and-a-half-year drought. Psalm 135 and verse 7, God brings forth the wind from his treasures. Ezekiel 13, the Lord used a violent wind to break out his wrath. Amos chapter 4, God sent a scorching wind to get the attention of his people. Jonah chapter 1, God hurled a great wind on the sea to get Jonah's attention. Now, as I was working on this message, my mind flashed back to the number of times that I've been on the Sea of Galilee. It it is a remarkable experience, and it is true that if you go to Israel, the Bible becomes three-dimensional. Even now, I, I can... I can smell the water on the Sea of Galilee. I I can smell the dirt in some of those villages and towns that we visit. uh, Jerusalem has a distinctive, I mean, you just know you're there. And it comes alive. It quits just being words on paper, and it comes alive. But I I got to thinking about all the times we've been on the sea. And at some point when we load up the boat, uh, this large fishing boat, we load it up in Tiberias, and we go to the north side of the sea where they have discovered and preserved a fishing boat, a small fishing boat from the time of Jesus that you could put two of them going like this across the states. That's how small they are. This is a small craft. And there was no small craft warning the night of this storm with the disciples. But when I'm on that boat, Yuval and I typically we'll have a conversation about storms on the sea because the Sea of Galilee kind of sits in a bowl. It's surrounded by mountains and storms can come out of nowhere and come unexpectedly on that sea and it gets whitecaps on it. It's just a large lake, but it gets whitecaps on it and it becomes impossible to deal with it. In fact, I was talking to Yuval not long ago And he was on a a trip, I believe, in February of this year. And they got caught in one of those storms. And even that motorized fishing boat, they could not get it to the shore on the other side. So they had to let the boat just drift back, turn around and drift back, and try to get back and anchor it down in Tiberias. That's how quickly storms come up. I'm grateful I haven't been in one of those storms because I really don't want to get seasick in the Sea of Galilee. But God has a purpose in storms, sometimes to discipline us. Sometimes storms are to prepare us for a greater ministry. God uses our setbacks and our storms and, and what we feel like, what's the purpose of this? God's got a purpose in it because he's going to give you ministry out of it, or to drive us to desperation. Now, here's some bullet points that I want you to get. In the storm, either faith or fear is going to flourish. I mean, one's going to come up, faith or fear. When you're in a storm, faith or fear. And, And you may vacillate between the two. But when you're in a storm, what you want is your faith to come up. That's what's being tested in these disciples. Do you have faith in what I've said to you? That is, I've said, let's go to the other side. Secondly, God can never use us greatly until he has tested us and pruned us. Now, none of us like test and none of us like pruning, but you are pruned to bear fruit and more fruit and much fruit. We're tested so that our faith can be proven and shown to be valid. Number three, very similar to number one, faith and fear can't abide together. One of them will shove the other one to the side. And many people, they they live in fear and their fear suppresses their faith and they can't see God because they see what they're afraid of. Next one, everyone's faith will be tested in different times and different ways. Your test may not be my test. My test may not be your test. All of us are going to be tested. So don't make the mistake of looking around and saying, well, why don't they have to go through this? Why does that person not go through this? And why am I having to go through this? Our faith is tested in different ways and God knows where to test us. He knows our personality, he knows our mindset, he knows our strengths, he knows our weaknesses, he knows where and when to test us. Next, when storms come, where you've rooted your life will be revealed. When storms come, are you like a chicken running around with your head cut off? Or are you abiding in christ remember jesus he's about to go to the cross john chapter 14 he says to his disciples don't let your heart be troubled believe in god believe also in me that's not just a funeral message that's a daily life message don't be troubled but i'm in a storm don't be troubled you believe in god believe also in me it requires us to live daily by faith and then the last one the purpose of storms is to stretch us out of our comfort zone just like exercising stretches us and we get a little sore when we do it storms are meant to stretch us out of our comfort zone because left to ourselves backsliding is the best thing we do we think i'll just stay right here i'm comfortable i'm secure i feel good i like where i am and what's happening in that process is we're not growing, we're stagnant, and atrophy is setting in, and we're actually going backwards. The storm that they face here in Mark chapter 4 is a part of the day's curriculum. The parables were the, were the lesson, the storm is the test. Look at the question they ask. Because they're really asking a question about what he said in the parables about the cares of this world. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Now think about these guys. They've been eyewitnesses to miracles. They've seen Jesus heal people. They've seen him cast out demons. They've seen him stand up boldly to dead religion. But now the test is on them. You know, I'm fine if God is testing somebody else. Hey, I'm going to pray for you. Pray for you while you're going through that test. I I know it must be tough. I can't imagine what you're going through. I'm going to pray for you. I'm fine if God is testing somebody else. But when God tests me, that's another story. That's a whole different ballgame. This test was for them. If he can do all that he has done up to this point in Mark's Gospel, can he still the storm? God, can you still the storm? And most of all, the storm is going on in our emotions, in our hearts. Look at their failure to act in faith. There, was, there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat. So the second thing that's in your notes under this point is storms are not an end in themselves. Now, before we get really critical of the disciples, and, you know, we're always critical of the disciples. Well, I would have never done that. Yes, you would, and yes, we would, and yes, I would. Just put yourself in that boat. I think their first thought was, what does Jesus know about boats? Oh, he's a carpenter. He may have built one, but he doesn't, know, he doesn't know a boat like we know a boat. I mean, we can sell a boat. We can navigate a boat. We can guide a boat. We know which side of a boat to throw a net out of. What does Jesus know about boats? He doesn't know anything about boats. Second thought, we grew up on boats. We grew up on boats. We've been in storms before. We survived the last one. We'll survive this one. That response is still, we can handle it. Wrong response. Second thought and first thought are both wrong responses, bad thoughts. Third thought, they didn't pray. I mean, nobody said, hey, guys, let's pray to the Father right now. They panicked. You know, it's easier to panic than it is to pray. I mean, it's easier to get stressed out than it is to just close your eyes and just ask God to calm your heart. Verse 37 is in an imperfect tense in the Greek. And it pictures the waves repeatedly crashing in on this boat. I mean, they couldn't bail this thing out quick enough. Matthew, in his account of this storm, uses the word seismos, which is earthquake. It's a word that gives a picture of an earthquake. It seemed as if the whole area was shaking at the core. That's how big this storm is. This storm was more than they could handle. But I believe their first thought was, Jesus doesn't care, or if he knows, he doesn't care. If he cares, he's not doing anything about it. We're just going to have to fix this on our own. And that's the danger of works-oriented religion. And that's the danger of our flesh. The worries of the world begin to take over, and we quit operating by faith in the word of God. They probably rationalized. They, or they thought, you know, Jesus is tired. I mean, he's been teaching all day. Give the man a break. Let him, let him rest. Maybe that was it. But here's what they forgot. They forgot the one person in the boat that could do something about the storm. You know what we forget in the storms? We forget that God is the one person that can calm us in the eye of the storm in the midst of the storm. You see, faith is a neutral word. This is important. It only has meaning when you make a sentence out of it or when you say what faith is in. Faith is neutral until it has an object. It's got to be in a sentence. In the storms of life, we either find opportunities to fight in our flesh or to exercise faith faith. Lord, don't you care? Now, let me tell you why that statement is important. When we're in a storm, one of the temptations of the devil is to make us think God doesn't care about us or our storm. And Satan whispers in our ear, God's got bigger things to think about than you. God doesn't care about this storm. God created the world and he left it. He's off in some distant galaxy somewhere. God doesn't care. God doesn't. Listen, have you ever sensed that the devil was whispering in your ear, God doesn't care? You know, that's the reason a lot of people just get further and further into depression. God doesn't care. That's the reason a lot of people take their lives. God doesn't care. They forget that God loves them even in the storm. The storms come because we live in a fallen world, not because God's ticked off. It's because we live in a fallen world. They they thought Jesus didn't care about the crisis, and they acted as if they were in the boat alone. Now, how often have we acted and reacted to storms in our lives as if Jesus was indifferent to us. That's the last thing Jesus is, is indifferent. The Greek implies that they resented, they thought, they resented that Jesus was indifferent. Maybe they were like Gideon. If the Lord is with us, why have all these things happened to us? They're, They're questioning the only one who can fix the problem. And isn't that our problem in storms? We go everywhere to everybody. We call the prayer line. We we gather our family. We ask people to pray. We run around. We read self-help books. And the last thing we do is Jesus. He's the last resort. Should be the first option. Look at the last point. Storms drive us to a new dimension of faith. I'm glad we finally got here it's more than just a storm. It's a storm with a purpose. God was using the storm to teach the disciples to have a faith response to his son and to the son's word. He wanted a faith response. You see, God's desire is for us to exchange our inadequacy for his sufficiency to exchange our inadequacy for his sufficiency. I want to tell you, in the storms that I've been through in my life, I was not adequate for the moment. And I'm a type A, high D personality, but I know this in my heart of hearts. I can't fix storms. Only God can fix storms. So look what they do. They call him teacher, rabbi. Hey, Dr. Religion, they use the same term that the crowds use, that the Pharisees use. But listen, they didn't need a teacher, they needed a deliverer. Now yes, we need Jesus to teach us, we need the Spirit to guide us into all truth, as John says in his gospel. But we don't just need a teacher. You can know a lot about God and miss him. We need a deliverer. If they had fully embraced Jesus as the Son of God, they would have understood this. Here's the thought. This boat can't sink. God's in it. God's in it. The creator of the sea is riding with us. That's pretty good company in a storm. If they had remembered the command, let us go to the other side, they would have faced the storm with fear or faith. If they had remembered the command, they would have faced it with faith. But they forgot the command, and they faced it with fear. Don't you care? We should pray and ask God to help us learn all we are supposed to learn in the storms. Let's see the big picture. Verse 39, Jesus got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down and it became perfectly calm. He rebuked. That that word rebuke is a strong expression of disproval. It's a censure. It's like a child reprimanding, being reprimanded by a parent because they're throwing a tantrum. Stop it! Jesus speaks to the sea. He speaks to the storm. He didn't check... With the meteorologist to say, hey guys, if we can just ride this out for a few more minutes. If you see the Doppler radar, the storm is moving off and we're about to have it calm down. Let's just calm down for a minute and let's just hold on for dear life. No, he said, hush, be still. I don't know about you, but sometimes God has to do that with me. He has to just tell me to hush and to be still. Literally, he muzzled the sea, and the sea became like a sheet of glass. By the way, he uses the same word here in verse 39 that he used in Mark chapter 1 when he rebuked the demon for interrupting in the synagogue. So Jesus has a three-word sermon, hush, be still. You ever preach that sermon to your kids in church? Hush, be still. Now you whisper it because you don't want to interrupt everybody. Hush, be still. Jesus didn't answer their question, do you care? He dealt with their problem. There was a sermon for the saints and a sermon for the storm. You could say hush, be still to the storm, and you could also say it to the saints in that boat. The creation, This I love this, the creation heard the creator's voice. And snapped to attention. The creation. God created the heavens and the earth, the seas, the mountains, the trees, all of the livestock, animals, everything. God created man. And when the sea and the wind heard the voice of the creator, they snapped to attention. We're stopped. It was immediate. All three Gospels indicate that the wind immediately stopped. Why did it immediately stop? Because the storm had served its purpose. It drove the disciples to Jesus. That's the purpose of the storm. To drive us to Jesus. They were beginning to discover that Jesus was the great I Am. He was the sustainer, the creator. I want to hang this thought in your heart somewhere. There is sound theology that you learn in storms that you don't learn anywhere else. There is sound theology that you learn in storms that you don't learn anywhere else. Then Jesus turns in verse 40. And speaks directly to the disciples. Why are you afraid? Why are you timid? Why are you intimidated? Why are you cowardly? Why why couldn't you just trust me? I said we're going to the other side. And then look at verse 41. Then they became very much afraid. That's That's a different afraid. That's an awe, a reverence. They realize that Jesus has power over creation. Maybe they remembered this. In one of the Psalms, it says that the coming of the storm is a power ascribed to Jehovah. They had seen all these miracles, they had heard all these teachings, but now it was personal. They realized, which is part of what a storm does for us, that they didn't know Jesus as well as they thought they did. Listen, in my life, in many lives of many people I know, storms have taken them closer to Jesus than they ever thought they would be. When we see Jesus as he is, he changes us. And by the way, it's safer in the boat with Jesus than it is on the shore without him. I don't want to get in a boat. I don't want to go through a storm. It's safer in the boat in a storm with Jesus than it is to be on the shore without him. I found this uh, quote from Billy Graham. He said, No situation is beyond God's control. Over my wife's desk, that's Ruth's desk at their home, are these words, and I love these words. Fear not the future. God is already there. (laughs) Fear not the future. God is already there. Father, I know that there are people watching today. Some are members. Some are people who attend occasionally. Others are friends in other parts of the world and other people from, as we know, from South Africa to Canada to Mexico to Brazil to Venezuela to Europe, people have tuned in, and and they're going through storms. We're still going through storms. We don't know if this pandemic is over or if it will come back with a vengeance. Some are going through storms financially, maritally, with their children, with prodigals. Some are going through storms with their health. Some are going through storms with special needs children and going through storms with aging parents. Whatever the storm, Father, I pray that today the saints will hear you say, Peace, be still. And if there's one that's listening and watching today that is going through a storm and thinks you don't care, I pray that right now, You would come through that screen and this technology right into their hearts and the Holy Spirit would tell them how much you love them and that you died for them. You gave your life for them so that they could have life in you and not go through these storms alone. Would you show them Jesus so that they might learn to trust Jesus and take the next step in learning how much God really loves them. For it's in His name we pray. Amen.